This week's show is brought to you by adamandeve.com. Between now and Valentine's Day, you'll get a bunch of free stuff with every order. You'll get 50% off almost any item and 10 free gifts, and you'll still get free shipping. Just go to adamandeve.com and under the code word glory, that's G-L-O-R-Y at checkout. Be advised that this show is not for children, the faint of heart, or the easily offended. The explicit tag is there for a reason. So before Tom jumps in and does the intro, a couple things I wanted to get out of the way. Uh, first, we had initially planned to record uh, something this week, this last week on Thursday uh, in Chicago. But Wednesday and Thursday of this last week, it was bitterly cold here. Uh, Tom couldn't get his car started. I didn't even try to start mine. Uh, it was minus 50 wind chill Fahrenheit, which is something like that in Celsius too. Uh, it's It was really just unbelievably cold. So uh, we wound up skipping our normal recording session and we didn't have a chance to reschedule it. Um, that being said, the previous week, we were planning on taking a couple weeks off um, for other reasons. And we had recorded a long form episode we thought was just going to be one episode. Turns out that conversation that we had was really long, almost three hours worth of conversation we had uh, on the topic you're going to be hearing about today, which is uh, the, the criminal justice system, prison system, death penalty, that sort of thing. We covered a lot of ground in these uh, three hours that we talked. So really, it's not a normal show uh, that you're going to be listening to for the next couple of weeks. You're going to be listening to uh, what we like to call long form show, which is sort of a deep dive on a specific topic. In this particular instance, the topics do range just a touch uh, but they all cover uh, the same broad topic, which is the criminal justice system in the United States. So it's going to be a little different than our normal show. Uh, it's still we still think it's it's funny and interesting, uh, but it's not. Uh, it's definitely not the the multitude of stories that you're used to. And that's going to be happening for the next two weeks. We're going to be splitting it. It may seem a little arbitrary where I split the uh, the podcast this week, mainly because. I don't want to just dump a three hour show on people, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna cut it. Uh, in the middle-ish part, and uh, there'll be a part one this week, part two next week, and then we'll be back in the following week uh, to record a brand new show. Um, but things just conspired against us to uh, to bring you a a show that's about more current topics. Uh, but we hope you enjoy it. We really did enjoy the conversation that we had, and we thought the conversation was really good. So without further ado, I'm gonna just going to throw it over to Tom. Tom's going to do the introduction. And uh, we're going to get started. Recording live from Glory Hole Studios in Chicago, this is Cognitive Dissonance. Every episode we blast anyone who gets in our way. We bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical, it's political, and there is no welcome at this this is episode 456, right? which I also knew mm -hmm. and was not about to announce perhaps 457. I was doing a little mental math. I was trying while to figure it out. Too. It might be 456. It might be 457. I think you're right. Maybe it is. Four, was it 455 this week that we just recorded? 
This is definitely an episode. <laughs> Recording remember. live. Oh, no, yeah, it is 450 because we're going to miss a Folsom week. some prison. We're going to miss a week. <laughs> so it's 456, I think. We'll see. All I know is, we'll Cecil, see. We'll see. I killed a man in Reno just to watch him die. <laughs> and having said oh, that, oh, Jesus Christ. That will amount to my confession. Oh, and it Jesus. turns out that's all that's needed. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> we, uh, with Tom and I this week, uh, we're going to do another long form episode um, and it's going to range a lot. It's going to move a lot because we found a lot of different resources. And so the resources will start, I think, on the death penalty, talking about sort of the history of the death penalty and, and how move, great it is and how amazing and the how death well pen- administered how, it is. Yeah, exactly. And, and how we are good stewards of the death penalty in this country. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> and then, So look forward yeah. to that. That's, I don't yeah. want a spoiler here. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I think, you know, we want to talk about like, you know, why we have it. There's some, there's some things we want, we want to talk about why we have it. Then we want to talk about, I think false confessions is another portion yeah. of this. Um, we watched some documentaries, read some articles about false confessions. You know, we want to talk about also just bad investigations and sometimes false confessions and bad investigations is one part of the larger Venn diagram. Sometimes? Yeah, I think. <laughs> I'm trying to think of when they're not. I'm trying to think of when somebody did a bang up investigation. Yeah, and there's not a false confession. And a false confession also yeah. was a <laughs> distinct, huge factor, right? I'm just, just saying there's a Venn diagram and they're, they're it's both one connected somehow. It's just, yeah, it's a Venn yeah. diagram. It's called one yeah. circle. It's just a, it, the U.S. justice system. Yeah. That's All what I it's know called. is yellow and green make blue. That's what All right. <laughs> and we also want to talk about exonerations because it's a big part of the death I'm penalty. No, I'm not pro. You're not pro exoneration. I'm, yeah, I, I'm giving that up. Too, and right. uh, recidivism rates, I think, is another piece and uh, sort of uh, why we get it all wrong. So we want to say, I mean, well, there's we, a lot. Hold on. We don't get it all wrong. Sometimes... Mm. Oh, what do we get right? I want to. Now we'll have to get there. I think, I think we need to start we'll to there. there. Let's start from, right, the, yeah. from the top and yeah. work our way. So, uh, we want to talk about the death penalty. Uh, the reason why I think we want to talk about the death penalty, uh, there's a couple of documentaries that we watched, yep. uh, Making a Murderer. And I want to let's let's start. Let's start right there by yep. saying Making a Murderer is a biased series. Like we everybody should know it's a biased series. They have a bent when they start out. They 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 left off some information. If you like Google the information, you can find information that they right. did not include in the movies that was in the court case, right? So there are there's absolutely a angle. Yeah, and I will say too, like even season two of Making a Murderer. When you watch it, it's like, well, here's all this stuff that didn't come out in trial or that wasn't argued. Like, so even the documentary, which itself has a bias, if you just were to watch season one, yeah, don't fool yourself into thinking that you have the whole picture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, don't, you don't have the whole picture. Right. Right. And uh, and there's another um unlike serial, which I yeah. feel like we know. Uh, like yeah, we, we just, know. Adnan did it. <laughs> That's what we know. I did not. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. Who was it? There was some like one of one of the podcasters. Maybe it was Thomas one of Smith. Puzzle guys. I think no, it was Puzzle guys. It was I, no way. I think Thomas Smith both think Adnan did it because he's person of color. I guess. I don't yeah, know. I mean they're just racist. So. <laughs> Which is, like, they're uh, they're a they're avowed racist. Turns out that's how the American system works. Anyway, so, um, but uh, but one of the things that you know we watched that we also watched. Um, the innocent, the man. innocent man, which is John Grisham. Is that who the person yes. is? Yeah. So John Grisham is an author who wrote a book and then they did a series on Netflix about that. We watched a uh, Ken Burns documentary, mm-hmm. uh, Central Park Five, which yep. our current president had a piece in. There's a portion of the current president in there. Hey, it was which was he really helped him yeah, out. It was great. I'm glad he got involved in yeah. that. Inserted. He himself. still asserts that they're guilty, yeah. by the way. Does he really? Yeah. He still asserts that they're guilty. Oh, we'll get to there. We'll get there. The guys, I definitely want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, 
So well, probably because they are. Yeah, I mean, well, let's be honest. What's DNA mean? Person of color. Did you notice how yeah. black most of them were? Because I did. And one of them was Puerto Rican. So that's yeah. like, that's like diet black. That's like, <laughs> that's like black light. Look, here's the thing. It's not even American. Yeah. When you're in a car and we're driving down the road, we're going to pull you over. You know what I mean? Like you will be right. racially profiled for yeah. shiz. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we also listened to several podcasts uh, and read several articles, many from the Atlantic. It seems like the Atlantic has a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, writers and journalists who write about this particular topic at um, length. By at the way, length, absolutely. Yeah, if you are looking for quality, long form yeah. journalism, yeah, I subscribe to the Atlantic. I've yeah. subscribed for years to the yeah. Atlantic. I love the Atlantic, and when I have a good three and a half to four hours to kill, I'd like to read one article from the Atlantic. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of the articles in this particular uh, set of articles that mm -hmm. we're going to be posting on the notes for this episode had an audio attached to it. Two, two of them yeah. did, actually, and they were both about 40, 45 40, minutes yeah, long. that's how long the articles yeah. are, 45 I've, minutes. I read yeah. the other one out loud, and it took every bit as long they're, as 45 they're minutes. 30, yeah. They're 30 to 40 minutes. But yeah. I, all jokes aside, because they're quality articles. Yeah, right. Like, I also subscribe to The Economist. And it's funny because The Economist has so many articles I'm interested in and they do such a great job of starting them. Yeah. And they're just like, and you're like, that would be great if you wrote an article about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a blurb, man. Is it really? Oh, yeah. yeah in comparison. Yeah. It's a yeah. blurb. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about a podcast that we listened to this. Uh, it was Civics 101 talking about the history of the death penalty. Yep. And the history of the death penalty is really interesting. One of the things that they talk about um, in that particular show was they're talking about how we... Uh, have the de had the death penalty since the origin of our nation. We've had, you know, at some sort yeah. of death penalty. Um, also, back then, we used to chop people's arms off and shit or like their limbs and whatnot because in the Constitution, right. it says life and limb. But, you know, like, I will say, nobody should be surprised about this no. because in, this, in, in the 1700s and prior, the 1600s, like, yeah. the death penalty, these folks came, many of the, the, the settlers came from England. England had a yeah long and storied history of the death penalty during the same time period. It just makes sense that the same people sure. would start a colony with the same systems sure. of, of yeah. punishments, right? And and one of the one of the interesting points of this talks about how the, the country is a Christian nation, right? It's a Christian nation and they are actually trying to get these people to repent from their to their from their crime, like the crime right. that they committed. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get them to repent and putting them to death is actually helping them on that path. And so they saw it as a sort of a, like a, like it's a righteous. It's, yeah. Well, yeah. it's not just righteous, but it's also rehabilitative to them because it rehabilitates the soul. Yeah. Right? Now, right. That's, that's the, and I think that's an interesting, if, if insanely flawed idea, because there is an idea of mercy in there. Right. You know, I, when, when I listened to that, I thought like, what, what, what really interests me is like, they're trying to scare these criminals right. into a place where they do an ultimately right thing that, that writes the wrong, right. Sure. That, that in some way, Puts, puts something other than just revenge at the end of the sentence. I think revenge is still part of that sentence. Sure. But I think it also is like, look, you know, if they accept Jesus Christ as their savior or do whatever it is that they need to do religiously, then, you know, when they go meet their maker, their maker will make a decision, but at least we've put their soul right. We as a society have done something to try to uh, address the problem, right? To try to, to try to say like, how can we make something better right. from this terrible crime? And if you believe in those you know, hierarchical angel systems and all that nonsense. Sure, and, right, and, right, and, right. You know, celestial space. There's a logic there. It's a, there's a there's a kind of logic. Sure, there, a gentle logic yeah. there. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, in that same piece, they're talking about how there was this giant meta study, 
And it was a meta study of many different uh, uh, studies that looked at whether or not uh, the death penalty is actually something that people will consider as a deterrent. And what they found was no evidence either way, which is interesting. They found no evidence that it is a deterrent mm -hmm. and no evidence that it isn't a deterrent. But one of the things that the guy says is it's, it's kind of just think about it. You know, we don't kill a lot of people. Right. So anybody out there who goes out and does a murder, chances are they might not get on death row. And then the chances when they're on death row that we kill them, that we murder them right. is low. So it's, you know, they, they just don't consider, like he, he, his assumption is that they just don't even consider the death penalty as even a real threat. Yeah, like, but it just, I was kind of smiling because like, and, and they bring that up too. We listened to an Intelligence Squared debate thing. And that was one of the points that was brought up. Oh, I got to say, by the way, yeah. the fucking argument against like uh, the, the people that were saying we should keep the death penalty were the worst. They were so bad at everything. I do want to talk about yeah. that because the only person that I felt at all compelled had the had the least set of had the, well we'll talk about it yeah, yeah. but like you know what kind of makes me smile about that a little bit is you know like you have the, the burden of evidence should be on we're doing this thing because it works right and then if you can't provide a study that shows that it works if all you can do is provide studies that are neutral yeah then by by any reasonable standard of of the burden of evidence because there's an action being undertaken right so not killing somebody is it, you know, it only works in the one direction, right? Right. right. So the burden of proof should be on the people who are sure. saying we're going to kill yeah. people and we're going to kill people because it's a deterrent. Mm -hmm. And then you have to say, well, show me a study. And you can't say, well, the studies don't show it's not a deterrent. Right. Like think about how think, that logic is <laughs> such a bad, right? It's so pause bad. and think about that. Like it went on, when else in your life yeah. would you accept that? Yeah. Like, well, you know, Babies don't not grow out of yeah. trees. That's like, why well, I don't even can't even follow the system of double negatives necessary for me to get there. I mean, it's like it's 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 very similar to keeping a stone to keep tigers away. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Well, I don't see any tigers see around. Any tigers around. I'd like yeah. to buy you a rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you we listen to a lot of things and, and read a lot of things. Why do you think that we still have, like most Western nations have not, they're not doing right. this. Yeah, most Western nations don't They've do abolished this. this. Yeah. Um, most Western nations also don't incarcerate at the rates that we do. Right. Um, why do you think- Most Western nations don't do most of what we do. Yeah, most yeah. of the- And, you know, why do we still do it? Is your Because I think culturally we're so different than other Western Western nations. I think we are- on the surface, similar to Western Europe, but in so many incredibly fundamental ways, the United States is such a cultural anomaly Yeah, um, that so much of how, not what, but how we think about who we are nationally feels to me so different. And just, I think, is just so obviously so different from the rest of the world. We are a unique cultural people, um, and the United States looks at itself in very different ways that Europe just, I, I don't even know that like, cause how many, how many other core or fundamental issues does the United States differ from the rest of the, you know, what we would call first world. I think we're first world in the sense that like, yeah, we're all rich. Yeah. But to some degree, like our cultural values just skew so much differently. Yeah. Um, I think we still have it because we have a stronger sense of individualism and individual responsibility a much stronger sense and much less a sense of collectivism and social, um, you know, togetherness, or I don't know how else to better phrase that than any other nation in the first world. There is a sense here that like, I have an ultimate responsibility to my own fate for my own decisions. And that sense is stronger and more pervasive in the American cultural identity 
than it is anywhere in Europe. I, yeah. I think I think by leaps and leaps and bounds. And so with that with that underlying everything, an individual who behaves so out of step with the social contract um, is so aberrant and deserves to be retributed against. You know that deserves you know some kind of vengeance against them. And I and and to get to your our conversation we were having and didn't finish about the intelligence squared debate. I will say that I did not find the um, arguments to keep the death penalty persuasive at all. I went into it with an open mind. I really tried to do that. I did not find their arguments to be terribly persuasive. I will say the only argument that had any persuasive weight to me was the retributive argument. The, the, the practical arguments have no weight. They have no merit, right? Like we can go through them. You can check, you can check, check them off a box, right? They're very easy to check off a box. The retributive argument is sort of like a gut check for the individual. Where do you sit sure. in terms of like, how do you feel? It's a feelings. It is absolutely right? a feelings thing. And so I found myself responding in some ways to that sense of like, yeah, like if a, and he told a handful of stories, like, you know, this guy I set burned these people, some people on, on fire, fire, right? Yeah, yeah, lit them on fire. And it is very difficult not to respond to that and to say like, sure, that one person, do would I shed a tear if they died? Yeah, of course like, not. No. And then the immediate counterpoint, which I love because it, it brings you back to reality, is that's still bad public policy. Right, right. Any examination of the death penalty as something other than a public policy. So when somebody says, here's how I feel about the death penalty, I don't give a shit. That's yeah. not, it's not interesting. It's not useful. It's not valuable. I feel one way. Yeah. But I recognize that public policy is a different set of questions. Yeah. And, and any attempt to uh, override what's good public policy with how I feel because I get mad when bad things happen in the world. If I can't, is it? If I can't mix those two properly, right. if I can't separate them and say, look, yeah, I know that there are times when I can be angry and righteously angry. Sure. But that's not necessarily good public policy. Is it truly retributive if they aren't doing what they did, though? Right? Like, like I feel, I feel like we just give them a little bit of something to put them asleep and then they die, right? You know, like we give them like one guy got fentanyl. And like yeah. died with fentanyl, like they shot him up with fentanyl and he just fucking opioided himself to death. Like okay. that was the end. Remember right? how we were going to die in a bulldozer fight? Yeah. I, 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 I am, I'm reconsidering our yeah. options is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, why not light him on fire? Right? The guy lit two people on fire. You have, you know, DNA evidence that proves that he's there. You know, let's, let's go with the 100%. This person did it. Gacy. Right? right? Gacy killed people. You don't walk over to Gacy <laughs> and knock on his door and be like, you know, we're not quite sure. You know, we found all these bodies in your basement and right. all this DNA evidence all over right. your house. And I mean, I have DNA evidence back then, but you know, I didn't actually see you kill him. So you're free to go until, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. They, like right. you find all these, there are some definitive yeses. Yeah, is, and yeah. this is a guy is a definitive yes. Gacy's right. a definitive yes. And Gacy's an interesting case because I stood outside of Gacy when Gacy was killed. Gacy, John Wayne Gacy, if you don't know who he is, Wikipedia, the guy, he killed 35 to 33 or something young boys. And he used to dress like a clown. He's a weird motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Dude, he's a weird motherfucker. <laughs> And he was a murderer and a, like, I think a pedophile, right? So but he was, worse, he was a clown. But worse, yeah, even worse, he <laughs> was a mime. Let's talk so about he was a real quiet clowns. clown. <laughs> he, was a, he was a brooding, quiet clown in the corner <laughs> that pretended he was in a box. He was creepy as fuck. But seriously, he was an awful, awful, shitty, terrible person. Yes, yes he was. Bad person. Yes. They put him to death two miles from my house. I grew up right by Statesville Prison. Right. I drove to Statesville the night he was murdered. 
The night the state murdered Gacy, I drove to Statesville and I stood in an area celebrating his death with a bunch of other people. There was, you know, hundreds of people there. We were all celebrating his death. And there was a group of people that were on the outside. So they separated us, mm -hmm. right? There's a group of people on the inside. They're like, kind of like, are you... uh with the bride of the groom, you know, like, <laughs> and they say put us with different areas. I'm with the clown. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> God damn it, the and he's, groom is a clown, and he's a switch header, so it really doesn't matter. <laughs> but no, he he. They put us in the center, like in this little area, and then they put all the other people outside in like another barricaded mm -hmm. area. But they were close enough to all of us. So that I could walk around and blow out candles. And I was blowing out candles as a 19-year-old. I was walking. Maybe I was 20. I don't know. It was around yeah, that age. Right. But I was a shitty kid. Yeah. And I, hate, I hated the idea that this guy hurt other people. And in my brain, I thought, you know what? Fuck these. These people are idiots that are standing around here. And what I realize now as an adult is that they weren't holding a vigil, at least I don't think they were, holding a vigil because they thought Gacy was a person who should be saved. Right. They were holding a vigil so that the state would stop being the ultimate arbiter of justice and murdering another human being. And I think that there's a difference there, right? I can hate all the crimes that Gacy did. Right. But we didn't, you know suffocate those people like we didn't suffocate Gacy like he suffocated those people with a bag over their head and watch him die we didn't do that right we injected him with you know I don't know if it was injection or electricity back then I don't remember it's probably electricity um but you know we killed him quickly he right. was he was dead very quickly and you know those people out there they were they're not the type of people that I think were saying Gacy should be you know let to live they're saying this is bad policy and we should yes. stop doing this yeah you know, and, and that's and that's kind of that's kind of the driving point. Is like it, it's, I understand the desire for retribution. I am sympathetic to that feeling. Me too. Me too. To that, like, and and I and I do think that there is a place, and I, I know we'll talk about this. And I don't even know that we'll agree on this, and it'll be interesting. I do think that there is a place for both rehabilitation and punishment in a justice system. I think both of them have a place. I think the way that we do it is irrational and capricious and arbitrary and counterproductive to the ultimate goal of building a safer society. Sure. Um, but, you know, like, I think that there are crimes people can commit that are heinous, that are demonstrably heinous. And, like, there's definitively, like, this is a guy who did it. Like, DNA can be exculpatory, but it can also be inculpatory. And there are times when we can say, like, this is a person who committed a horrible act. And, and I am sympathetic to the desire for justice. I know for certain that if somebody were to victimize someone that I love. And, and thankfully, I've never been in that position personally. So I know that my desire to want vengeance um, would be intense. It would be absolutely intense. Um, so I understand that like policy is just this, like, what is it? it, it you know, society is just a soul writ large, right? So it's, it's nothing more than like the collective um, getting together and saying, here's probably what we should do because we all kind of feel the same way. I recognize all of that. But you have to separate all of those feelings from the reality of how we administrate all of this. We do such a bad job of it, the death penalty. We do such a horrible job of it that there, at this point, I can't, we listen to that Intelligence Square debate, I can't come up with one excuse to feel good about doing it. Right. Even if I wanted to, so, so I'm saying like, even if I were to want to yield to my baser instinct to say, yes, I want to watch you die. I think that you're terrible. You have hurt me and society and, and whatever in this in this uh, unforgivable way. 
I want you to be killed for it. Even if I were to yield to that instinct, I have absolutely no faith that as a matter of policy that we'll do that well, that we'll do that fairly. Because sure. we, we, we just, we know for certain we don't do it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, when we talk about what the, why we still have it and, and your idea, you know, I think I agree with what you have to say that we definitely do have a different mindset than the rest of the world. And this is something that, uh, that when I was doing a little reading about, uh, prisons and the way in which they handle criminals in the Scandinavian countries, and they're sort of touted as the place where, you know, there is a very different way to mm -hmm. handle people who have broken the law. Um, one of the interesting pieces that I, I found was that they don't look to their leaders, their political leaders to talk about that sort of thing. They don't come in. There's not a guy who comes in, at least in the stuff that I read. And now this stuff may be out of date. It may okay. have changed yeah. since then. But up until at least recently, you know, when this thing was written, there's, they don't come in saying, I'm the law and order guy, like President, right. President Trump did. I'm the law, law and order, law and order. I'm the law and order guy. They come in saying, I'm going to be the executive of this state, but I'm going to leave all of that stuff to the experts. And they do. They leave it to people who are on, you know, really on the cutting edge of figuring out the best way to rehabilitate someone who has broken the social contract. And that's from the very most minor thing to the most major thing that you can right. do. And they have, they, they, they don't, they don't tout that fear, right? We have, since the beginning of this country, had the death penalty. We've also had slavery. Mm -hmm. And we also had a group of people that were freed that were, you know, now citizens that used to be slaves, right? And there are some, there's some, you know, they used to have lynchings back in the day. And sure. the reason why they kept the death penalty back in the South was so that they could calm the people who were lynching people, right? Yeah. right? We still want to lynch people. All right, we're not, how about if we do yeah, it for you? Yeah, we'll just get it done for you. Yeah. We just, look, <laughs> the problem is you don't clean up. Yeah. You don't clean up. I got to do it myself. <laughs> and you're not Jesus filling Christ. out this form in triplicate. What's All wrong right. with you people? There's two dead guys hanging from this tree and there's three half-eaten pieces of pizza <laughs> on the goddamn table. Right. There's three <laughs> cups of water. What the fuck? <laughs> God, what am I, your mother? You get a Roomba to suck up all the dead people as it goes around. Yeah. But, but there's a, there is a culture of fear. And one of the, one of the, um, uh, we listen to a daily podcast where there's a guy in Nebraska who for years has been mm -hmm. for many years. Who has, is amazing yeah. and minces. No words. Oh, absolutely I not. I love that guy yeah. so much. He's one of the uh, state representatives yeah. in Nebraska and Nebraska for a brief time overturned their death penalty. Right. And, they brought it back with fear, right? They had the governor at that time spent his own money, out of pocket, own money. Hundreds of thousands yeah, of dollars, yeah. To, to put in commercials and things that sounded so terrifying, like we were in like the fucking walking dead times. Which I want to point out, was Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, like this happened as if like Nebraska is a hotbed for anything. Yeah. <laughs> It's not a hotbed for crime. It's not yeah. a hotbed for violence. It's not a hotbed. Yeah. Like, you can't yeah. have a hotbed. Like, the, you're only allowed to have boring fucking lights off missionary sex in Nebraska. It is the least hotbed state in all of America. We call that marriage time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but seriously, this guy, like, they, they sold fear. That's yeah. how they sold yeah. it to you, yeah. right? They sold it to all those people, and then they had a referendum on it. So they voted it out, said no more death penalty. Yep. 
Then they went out and fucking rabble roused essentially. Look, it got even like, like they voted off the death penalty and it was vetoed. Then they overrode the veto yeah. and they were like, fucking game set match, yeah. bitches. And they were like, uh uh-uh, uh, Nebraska, we can all just decide. Yep. Referendum. Yep. And then they decided mm-hmm. and they were, they, they promoted fear as if, you know, you need this penalty. You need this thing. And it's not, it's not only a part of public policy, you know, when it comes to politicians, which it probably shouldn't be. Right. And then it's also part of, you know, it's also part of this fear component that we've been, it's been part of our society, I think, because there has been a group of people who want to tell you how unsafe you are. But you and I have talked for many years how, how, how the violent crime rate's going down and down and down and down and down. Right. And when they want to talk about how unsafe we are. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's, it's funny because they'll, they'll use fear Fear is fear is what we use to sell, right? Fear right. is the greatest motivating Absolutely. tool for any salesman. Yeah. I don't care if you're selling cosmetics or you're selling uh, the death penalty. Fear is always the driving sales point, right? I'm going to make you afraid of something, and then I'm going to sell you the solution to fix it. It's it, everybody. It's the it's the greatest tool in any salesman's toolbox, and it's it's cheap because it's or it's effective because it's cheap and because it's easy, and you know it's just it plays to that part of the psyche. That you can do that in a place like Nebraska. And I made jokes, but like, Nebraska's not an unsafe place. Yeah. You know, it's not. There's nobody that fucking lives there. I there's can't no... even name a city in Nebraska, to be perfectly frank. I know there's Lincoln, Nebraska. Omaha? Is that in Nebraska? I think I did. I think I did it. Is Omaha, Nebraska? Or... It, Omaha is in Nebraska, and that's actually where the Wild Kingdom is. Oh. So maybe they're protected against like... Omaha! <laughs> Remember Mutual of Omaha's <laughs> Wild Kingdom! Wild Kingdom. It's like that's like a, oh, that's like, a, that's like an old school PBS joke. I know! <laughs> the nerds that listen oh my to this God. will get Somebody that. is, like, basically they have their, their PBS tote bag and they're spinning it over their head right now. It's like, yes! Finally Mutual worked for me! Mutual of Omaha! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like we, we sell, we sell fear in order to sell solutions to that fear. Yeah. But like, I think one of the, one of the points that you made about how like our politicians are tied in with this, whereas in Scandinavia, they cede to the experts. I think culturally it gets back to one of the, one of the other core problems we have here in America is that we don't believe in expertise. I've been thinking about this lately. Yeah. We don't believe in experts. We don't believe in experts in America because it's elitist mm-hmm. and that, that idea that's that we, we have this idea here that we're all equal. Yeah. And we don't understand that equality really relates to a quality of respect and opportunity. Absolutely. Equality right. Equality yeah. should not relate to everybody is exactly the same. Everybody's yeah. opinions are equal sign, right? That's nonsense. Yeah. I mean, nobody with a brain that's ever functioned once should ever should, think that. Yeah. But culturally, we believe it. Yeah. Culturally, we think that every vote means the same thing. Culturally, we believe that all people are fundamentally the same, that your opinion and my opinion are the same opinion, regardless of from whence we draw our information to form our opinions. And that is that is a problem. And it's a structural problem that is exacerbated by 200 years of misunderstanding our own fucking history and building a truck nuts culture around that misunderstanding. It's fundamentally wrong. And it means that we distrust experts because we don't believe in the pedestal. We don't believe in expertise. We don't believe that that guy who went to college and spent 10 years in fucking higher education and then, you know, 20 years doing research. We don't think his thoughts on his subject are worth more than Joe at the steel mill, but they are worth more. We don't believe in expertise in this country. So we will not cede 
policy to experts. We think anybody we elected, oh, he's a man of the people. Like to have a beer with him. Yeah. He's got some things to say about crime. What does he know about crime? We know lots about crime. Crime can be studied. Yeah. Crime can be considered. It can be studied. It should be. It's like any other social, uh, sociological phenomenon. Like it should be studied and evaluated. There's science that can be done. There's sure. good science. Yeah. We don't believe in that, Cecil. Yeah. We as a people have decided expertise is not valuable. And we what we like is easy solutions yes. like Joe Arpaio. Right. Let's put them out in the in the yeah. desert. We'll put them in pink yeah. to humiliate them, and then we'll put them in tents and make them live outside because it gut checks. Yeah, that's why. Yep. Because it gut yep. checks. It makes us all feel good yeah. about how bad those people are. Right. It's the same as like spanking our kids. Yep. Like, kid did a bad thing, gave him a wallet. Like, it yeah. just feels it like feels good. Well, you did bad. Oh, you got immediately punished. Beat a kid. God, oh, God, your, even your hand. Oh. You know what I love is like when your hand stings from yeah. beating your kid, <laughs> and you're just like, you get that like that. <laughs> Never harmed a hair on it. Never, your kid's head. I would never hit uh, my children. Your anyway. kid, when your kid lights the house on fire, you hug them. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, but like, what if they were sad they did it? They were super sad. <laughs> I like. We do. Yeah, we like. We, yeah. we. It all. It's all kind of part and parcel of right. the same thing. It's like. We have, and it's it's part of why we don't understand our own economics either. Mm -hmm. We believe we're ultimately rational yeah, actors. Yeah, absolutely. And we and what we do is we get we hate elitists, so we hire billionaires to do the job. That's what we do. Yeah, I think that's right. our that's the key. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean it 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 kind of is right. Yeah. It's like well, well, he made a lot of money. Well, let's look at that. We don't look at things. That's yeah. not no, we're that's not, not good part at of how looking. we do this. We're not good at looking. Adam and Eve wants to spice up your Valentine's Day with free stuff. If you're a loyal Cogdesk fan and have been using the code word, you probably have swings in every room of your house, on the porch, on the tree outside. But right now, between now and Valentine's Day, if you order anything from adamandeve.com and use the code word GLORY, that's G-L-O-R-Y, you'll get 50% off almost any item and 10 free gifts, which includes something for both him and her, and you'll get free shipping. So don't wait. This offer is only good until Valentine's Day. AdamandEve.com and Cognitive Distance want to make sure you'll have a fucking good time. I want to shift gears a little. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about false confessions. They've and, never happened. Now, I, why would somebody talk about it? I mean, <laughs> nobody would act in their, against their own best. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> that poor making a murderer kid. I, You know, making a murderer is one of those things that even if you don't care about the chubby one, yeah. right? Even if you don't care about the mm, fat one. They're all the chubby yeah, one. That, well, that kid initially wasn't the chubby one, well, but no, then he went to jail. That, no, he was chubby, thin, chubby. Yeah, right. He yeah. went, he went. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That prison is a yo-yo yeah. diet, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how much they send him for the commissary, I guess. <laughs> so they, this kid, one of the kids in there, the yeah. kid in there. So there's an adult and a kid. If right. you've never seen Making a Murderer, um, it really sort of tries to tell a story about how, um, and the, the bent on this is that they, they really do imply that the police officers really did sort of frame this guy mm -hmm. who was previously exonerated and currently in a case, a civil case for the, the bad police work that the same police department had done prior to Ex put him in jail for many years. Extravagantly yeah. bad yeah. police work. Right. Like, over the top, like genuinely intentionally yeah. bad police like, work. Like you imagine they're they're in 
the fucking court and they're keystoning around, <laughs> running around, hitting each other and like <laughs> playing missing, that horn sound. Like, a yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's comical bad. I mean, yeah. it's comical bad. And so he was currently at that point trying, he was at that point trying to get a civil suit through, um, looked like it was probably going to go through and then he got arrested for this murder. And they try to imply in there whether or not he was part of, like that he, that the, the, the police officers did some shady shit to try to get him in there. And the more you watch that show and the more evidence that they show, it feels like the police officers, at least at, at the very least were very stupid. Right. And at the very most were completely involved and, and stupid to yeah. me is a stretch. Right. Right. Yeah. And so we, you watch this show and um, like we said earlier, you know, definitely go out and get all your facts, watch, you know, go right. read the Wikipedia, go read other articles, read contrary articles to it that, that right. talk about yeah. it. You know, I, I wouldn't say that this is a, this is not, the fountain of truth that you can dip your you know magic cup in and get, you know, understand, but watch it with a critical eye. But when you watch it, I don't care what you think about the guy who, the main guy who got caught, watch those tapes oh, yeah. of that kid yeah. and that confession and tell me somehow that that kid was involved because I just don't believe it. And that speaks like, let's talk about that as it relates to the Central Park Five documentary and as it relates to so many other yeah. uh, cases that continue to come out that uh, around this false confession. I guess sure. where you're driving. Yeah. Like, you, got, you just got to, you got to like watch some of this. Just watch uh, with your own eyes. You can watch and see. So you look at like the Central Park Five case and it's just like the Brendan Dassey thing, right? Like the stories don't, match each other. The stories are not in the stories are not consistent, but most importantly, the stories that are being fed to these people by the police, they don't match the established facts. They don't match the things that we know to be true in really important fundamental ways. Like the who, how, like the Brendan Dassey case is crazy. Like he describes a situation that literally could not have occurred. Yeah. There is there is no evidence whatsoever that it is even possible that the story he told around his confession could have happened. It's even worse than that. He starts a totally different story. Right. And gets fed every piece of information. Right. To figure out what they were saying. Because he starts with, there's a part where they're talking about the head. When they're talking about his head, the, the, the woman's head. Yeah. What, what happened to her head? And he said, he cut her hair off. That's what he starts yeah, with. Right. He cut her hair off. Doesn't make any sense. No. Literally makes no sense. He's clearly just guessing. He cut her hair off. No, come on, Brandon. What did, what happened? And then he shifts to, um, he uh, punched her or something. Like, he keeps on going. Like, he's, he's shifting. He doesn't know. He's, he's guessing. guessing. Yeah. And then they finally feed to him at the end of five or six guesses. Yeah. Who, Who shot, shot her in the head? Yeah. He shot her in the head. Right. Why didn't you remember that? Oh, I just thought of it. Yeah. Because he doesn't know because he's getting fed all the information. If you watch it, it's a clear case of him being fed information. And it's not just my dumb ass who has no legal expertise that sees this. It's federal judges that saw this and fucking ruled against it. Oh, my God. This is like the most false confession I've ever seen. Well, you know, what's crazy about that is like, let's talk about the, because I want to talk about yeah. the appeals process. Yeah, yeah. Too. I thought up until extremely recently, very naively, I will yeah. admit, I thought that the appeals process was an opportunity to re-examine the facts of whether not or not it is. It's not. And it is yeah. not. Yeah. It, the appeals process is a process by which you can challenge the legality of your uh, conviction, whether your conviction was legally permissible or not. Um, it is not a re-adjudication of the facts of your, of your guilt or innocence. I didn't know that. Yeah. I really thought that in these uh, murder trials specifically, that an appeal 
was a retrial of the facts. That's what you, I thought too. Uh, Before I, I started watching these 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 documentaries, yeah. I had no idea. And it's super duper ultra not yeah. that. Right. Right. And the appeals process is really so heavily weighted in favor of the state mm-hmm. um, as to be nearly meaningless. The Brennan Dassey case, the state of Wisconsin, I think the only way, the only way I can understand what happens is that they're so embarrassed and they need so much to be right and to save face. After all the national attention that this case and the surrounding cases received, the Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey case received, that that they have to maintain these convictions. That only maintaining these convictions in their minds—that's the only way that they don't look like a bunch of fucking clown car cops, right, right? right? That's the only way for me to understand what's happening. Sure, because the case goes through this process and it's overturned again and again and again, and the state doubles down and doubles down and doubles down up until the point that they get the right number of people who appear to have a mindset of you wouldn't be here if you weren't guilty. And how do you get to be a federal judge like that, by the way? But can you, can you understand it any other way than that? Cause I can't understand. I can't understand. There's, there was uh, five people on that final panel. I think five people, three of them were women. Yeah. And two of them were on the previous panel that voted against the one guy. It was two to two to one. So they come to the first appeal. The first appeal is two women and a guy. And the two women, both of them, because you could hear the tape, right? So in the second season of this Making a Murder, you can hear the tape playing in the federal court. And in the federal court, these people are saying, the the, the judges that are on the bench are saying, this is literally the most egregious way in which anyone has ever had been, you know, been, been questioned. I can't believe that all of these things went wrong. Yes, his appeal, you know, it goes through. Basically, it was unconstitutional what you did to him. Right. Like, it broke his rights. You fucked with his rights. And so then it goes back to the state, and the state then shoves it back up another level. And they do decide to, to hear the case, and it's five people now. It's three women and two guys. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, there's no way. You know, you got two of the women who already said, you already have you two votes. You, you only, only need one. one vote out of these and other three it. people. And they lose. I was blown away by that. I, was I like, couldn't believe it. But like that also speaks in the, in the Central Park Five thing is very very similar. Like it's but you know one one thing that they have in common. And I want to talk about this too. Is like there it is inexcusable inexcusable to question children. Oh, I agree. Without not with their parents. Their parents don't mean shit. Don't fool yourself there. Their parents don't mean shit. It should be an attorney's. Yeah. The only thing. Yeah. Your parent may or may not be more or better qualified. They may or may not be more or better able to handle confrontation with authority figures. You could have a parent that's that's weak-willed. You could have a parent that's also mentally disabled. You could have a parent that's, you know, fucking negligent. Yeah. Like, your parent is not a fucking legal expert. A parent that had problems with the police in the past? Right. Right? None of that. I don't give a shit who you are as a parent. If your kid's being questioned, it should be law. It should be mandatory that before they're asked anything other than their fucking name and age, they get a fucking attorney. That's it. Yeah. We, we need to just... We need to all just decide that. It's fucking insane. Insane and inexcusable. And I will I will refuse to hear any argument about this. That I, at an age of under 18, I cannot enter into any contract. Right. 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 I can't sign a fucking... When I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a fucking dumbest example ever. When I was like 16 or 17, do you remember Columbia House and BMG CD I do, clubs? I do, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I signed up for them. I sent them my fucking penny or whatever. I signed up. I got a bunch of CDs. Then I I bought a bunch of shit. I racked up a bunch of fucking debt with Columbia House and BMG as a 16-year-old kid. And then I well, like they like started calling. And I'm like, I don't have any money. I'm like 16. I kind of just fucked this up. And they're like, you're 16? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay. And they let it all go. 
they let it all go because I can't enter into a contract. Right. Right. I can't, under 18, I can't be bound to a contract, but I can be bound to a confession. Yeah. That's crazy talk. Yeah. I don't, the, the, the legal theory should hold the same way. Under the age of 18, I can't, I can't enter into a contract. I can't buy a house, right? Without, without guardianship. I can't do these things because we understand that I'm not an adult. I'm not able to make adult decisions. I don't, I'm not able to make adult decisions because I don't understand the ramifications of what I'm doing and what I'm saying. I simply have not reached a level of maturity necessary for me to enter into a financial contract. But a 14-year-old can confess to murder. Yeah. And that confession solicited by interrogators, one-on-one or three against one or whatever it is, alone and without legal representation, holds more weight than all the strength of evidence for or against that person. Yeah. That is wrong. There's no... I yeah, can't, I, I can't I, get past it. Right. And it's not just that they ask these kids questions. Right. It's that they put these kids under duress for very long periods of time. And then they fold. Hours. They don't know any better. They And they get lied to. Yeah, you know, all you got to do is just say this stuff. You can go home. They get lied to yeah. all the time. And they might not say those exact words, right? And I don't know that they can say those exact words. But they definitely say, we need to finish this up. You know, those sorts of things. They yeah. imply that it's, you know, you're, you're going to be okay, basically. Yeah, they imply it very, very yeah. strongly. Like, yeah. Brendan Dassey on tape yeah. and the Central Park Five. Yeah. Brendan Dassey on tape. He's like, he's like confessing to this. And he's like, I, when can I go back to, I've got, I want to go back project to project due in sixth period. Yeah. And they're like, don't worry about that. We'll take care of your project. That's not the same thing as you're confessing to a crime. You're never getting out of yeah, here. Right. That I would think as a kid who's still worried about his sixth grade fucking homework project. Yeah. I would think like, oh, you'll get me like a sure. hall pass. Sure. So I can turn it in tomorrow. Right. Yeah. But he's not. Instead, they're, they're going to keep you there for the next 10 Life. or 15 years. Yeah. You know, and it's. What what it is is they're they're putting these kids under duress and they're questioning them for hours and hours. And, you know, the Central Park Five is a perfect example of this. When I was watching the Central Park Five, listen to the timestamps that the that the D.A. reads off. It's 10 to five in the morning. Yeah, it's 10 to five in the morning. Yeah, you're still questioning this kid at 10 to five in the morning. Right. You guys question him for how long? When did he come in? You know, when did he, you know, this, this is a kid. He probably wanted to be in bed. Like he probably was going to be in bed around 10 or 11. Right. Right. And it's five in the morning now. How long were you questioning before that? You've kept him up for, and it's not just one kid, right? There's a couple of them. And like you said, the parents are in the room for some of these. The parents are sitting right next to the kid while he's confessing because the, what they did with the Central Park Five, if you're unfamiliar with the case, there was a, a jogger who was running down, running around in Central Park. She was beaten and raped. She was beaten and uh, and put into a coma for yeah. several days. Right. Doesn't remember the incident either. Like, it, it, like it, she was beaten and it, and it knocked it out of her memory. She does not have any memory of that incident. She wound up, like, and it wound up being this big, huge case. They needed to find somebody. And so there was a bunch of kids running around the park that night being shitheads, Right. right. Yelling at people, chasing people, beating people up. Beating people up. Yeah. They were being shitty. Yeah. Shitty kids. But they wound up being like a bunch of them got wound up being grabbed by the police. And then they, the police basically separated them and said, Hey, your buddy's blaming you. You should blame him. They're lying to the kids. Right. And the kids are thinking, Well, I got to get out of here. I want to get out of here. And if they're lying about me, I'm sure as fuck going to say something about them because I, you know, I don't want to get 
I don't want to catch this case. Their game theory is not strong. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> and so everybody yeah. lied about everybody else and said he was the one, he was the one, he was the one, he was the one. And so everybody's pointing the finger at everybody else. And they're all telling totally different stories that the police are feeding them. And they still get convicted. They're confessions. It's crazy. It's the craziest thing ever. But like we put so much weight on confession. But like their confessions don't make any sense. Their confessions don't match the facts of the case. Right. The confessions don't match each other. As soon as the confessions don't match each other, like that should be enough to say like this confession is in doubt. Right. But like one thing that that is abundantly clear is that although we use lip service called, you know, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Or, you know, innocent until proven guilty, preponderance of evidence, things along those lines. We don't mean any of no, it. No, we don't. We don't act in a way that demonstrates a commitment to any of that meaning, right? Yeah. We don't at yeah. all. Yeah. Because as soon as somebody's in court, there is a presumption that they're there for a reason, yeah. right? You wouldn't be here if it probably almost certainly wasn't you. Right. So we're actually presumed to be guilty as soon as we start our trial. Yeah. So you go in with the weight of the world stacked against you when you're in trial. You're not really by the jury being perceived as, sure. yeah, I, you know, I have no idea. I yeah, yeah. could go either way. Yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah. That's not true. And then when people confess, we look at the confession as the ultimate because like, again, like- Why would you do it if you didn't do it? Why would you confess? not your best interest. Yeah, why would you confess? And it's because these people are absolutely psychologically beaten into it. Yeah. And it's so funny because like the Brendan Dassey case, when it goes to the five federal judges, you know, one of them's like, look, he wasn't like, he wasn't smacked around. He wasn't like- Yeah, right. And it's like, as if that's the only way- to put somebody under extreme pressure. And and it's interesting because I found this article in the Chicago Reader. And I, I can't post it because it's a paper copy that I have. Jesus, but, what? Um, but I want to read, there was a guy in Chicago. It's not just mental torture. Chicago is famous for physical torture, oh, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And so there was a guy in Chicago from Area 2, Area 2 detective. His name was John Burge. Mm-hmm. Chicago paid over $100 million in civil settlements because of this guy, right? Because he would torture people. And I want to read some of the, some of the people that he tortured and how he tortured them. Uh, someone at their trial testified that he was denied access to attorney and that he never made any confession, though he was suffocated with a typewriter cover, poked in the throat, punched in the ribs and chest, kicked in the groin and the shins. And in court, in the interview, uh, he claimed that his handcuffs were applied extremely tightly, causing great pain in his wrists. And that they made racial remarks and including one comment about blacks favoring pork chops, which is interesting. I don't know. I mean, I favor a pork chop. I don't know. And also, well, I don't feel minute. like that's favor torture. over what? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, okay. The day after he allegedly, uh, allegedly received treatment, photographs showed scrapes on his wrists and a bruise on his chest. So there was, there was some evidence that he was, that he was uh, beaten. Uh, there was a gas station robbery and a person was arrested in a pair of shorts that he had worn. The Area 2 detectives uh, took him to a vacant railroad viaduct where they beat him with nightsticks and flashlights. According to the suit, he suffered multiple trauma, abrasions and bruises to his neck, chest, head, shoulder, abdomen, back, groin, thighs, and legs. I think that's all of it. I think you could just say he, he received a yeah. giant bruise. Can we just write down where yeah. he wasn't beaten? Yeah, getting exactly. A, what is this, Charles Dickens <laughs> exactly. writing and paid by the word? Exactly. Christ. He was beaten so badly that he had involuntary, involuntarily urinated and defecated on himself which actually helped prove his case against the police. The detectives removed his trousers because they couldn't stand the smell and then took him in area two where television crew cameraman filmed his arrival wearing a pair of shorts. The police report, however, showed that he was wearing jeans. And that was one of the things that 
that wound up ex- helping his case and proving that he was actually beaten. So can we just pause real quick? Because I think that there's a lesson here. If you're ever arrested, poop yourself. Shit yourself. Yeah, basically be a skunk. Right. Try to shoot <laughs> that on the people. That's why Pepe Le Pew yeah. gets away with all that rape. Because he just... <laughs> Another case, area two detectives beat this guy, suffocated him twice through the typewriter cover. Uh, after the second suffocation, the typewriter cover is not they a really, tasker. I will tell you what, they went out of their way to find interesting <laughs> shit to use. They got bored with just like, nah, don't bring in the paper bag. Let's use this typewriter, typewriter cut. Jesus. Um, they, 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 at this point, another person entered the room, had not been involved prior to the in the prior brutality and urged the guy. This is Detective McWeeny, by the way. Are you serious right serious. now? Detective McWeeny comes in and says to this guy, Look, do something. They're going about to about to do something serious to you. So they beat him up a little. Yeah. And then he comes in They're They're about to do something serious to you. So you better confess to this crime. And then this guy who's been, you know, suffocated, uh-huh. he finds uh, a paperclip and he starts scratching under the bench that he was suffocated and beaten and whatever inside the thing. And that was part of his case that they found. He's like, it's like fucking uh, Alexander Dumas novel, Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I right. mean? It's like yeah. crazy shit. It's crazy shit. This all happened in Chicago. I'm going to finish one more. Uh, Banks testified that three officers put a gun in his mouth and threatened to blow his head off, beat him with a flashlight, kicked him in the ankle and the stomach and said, we have something for, for you know what I'm going to say. And he put a plastic bag over his head. They didn't use a typewriter cover at the time. Suffocating him twice before he agreed to give a statement confessing involvement in the murder. So, you know, this is a, this was a very common occurrence here in Area 2 in Chicago. And I can't believe it's isolated, right? I can't, you can't make me believe that somehow, not all over the country, there aren't frustrated officers who, when it comes to something that they have to solve, aren't either manipulating someone through mental torture or are just physically torturing someone to confess. Well, you know, like... What one thing I found interesting, I want to make a, a point of comparison. We we watched all a couple of documentaries, you listened to a bunch of stuff, we read a bunch of stuff, and in several of them, there's a prevailing thread when they talk to the jurors. And one of the things that the jurors say is like, look, I was in this jury for a long time. And, you know, there was one or two people who were in there and they were just kind of browbeating yep, me over yep. the over the course of time. And so eventually, even though I had severe doubts about the case. I gave in to the consensus. And so that's how they reached verdict. And I thought to myself, if regular people are willing to concede that under the most minor of social pressures, they will agree to things that violate their conscience, why in the world would it not be the case that under significantly more intense pressure, right? A juror who has no, he's not going to go to jail. He's not, you know, yeah. the worst thing that's going to happen to a juror is, the, is that he'll continue to have to deliberate and somebody, he'll have to have a mild confrontation. But we as people don't like confrontation. Right. Most people are non-confrontational by nature. Most people sure. go out of their way Absolutely. to avoid confrontation. Absolutely. So then you put these people in a seriously confrontational situation that they are not, uh, we are not good at contending with. And you do it over the course of many, many hours and you strip us of parity in that situation. We are not co-equal to the person we're in confrontation with. We are not... We're not, we don't have anywhere near the same power dynamic in that situation as the cop or cops. They can bring in cop after cop when they get tired. They can get drinks. They can take a piss. They can have something to eat. They, you're shackled. They're not. You have none of the uh, power. There's no equivalency in that situation. In that, 
Is it hard to believe that people will act against their own best interests when we can listen to juror after juror yep. confess to violating their own conscience yeah. because they're afraid of a little bit of social anxiety? Yeah. We don't we we know for certain you can look at just the other end of the system and watch it happen and you can hear people crazily the same people who don't believe in false confessions are the same people who will concede to a collapsing under less significant pressures. Yeah. It's just look at it. Just yeah. look at it. Yeah. And it w one of the things that we talked about briefly and I'd like to bring it up. Yeah. I think we should have something like a professional juror. Yeah. I think that there should be someone and I know that someone's going to send us a message and be like that's a judge. And I get it. I get it. I think you're right. There we can you can request a judge <clears throat> trial instead of a jury trial, right? And I think there are benefits in the system for requesting a jury trial, right? Why is a judge trial not more frequently requested. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I'm sure there's listeners out there that can certainly school us on this. And I, this is a, this is a, you know, again, I'm, I'm throwing something out there that I'm probably going to get email on. There's going to be lawyers who listen, who are going to say, no, that's a bad idea. And that's okay. Right. I'm okay. And I'm willing to read those emails. Yeah. I actually welcome those emails that say, no, it's a bad idea to have those, those things. And I, here's why. And I'm anxious to read them. And I, and I'm, I'm anxious to be educated on this subject. But what I find time and time again, when I hear these stories is, is that if a person was, that was their job, I don't think that that would happen. And that's what I feel like when I hear, you know, when, when I hear that they're getting bombarded with all of this type of testimony, right? There's, there's no expertise. The guy could be a, a, a you know, he could have any job. And yes. I'm not going to pick on a job. I'm not going right. to pick on some job. All jobs are, you know, essentially equal in this yeah. case because all jobs are not professional. Because sure. I will say, like, I'm a video and audio editor in my mundane life. That's what I do for right. a living. Right. I'm a, what they call a media specialist and an adjudicator of forensic science. And, right. Like, do I have to come in and have to be an expert on, you know, forensic science? Because here's what they have to do. They have to I have to trust your expert. And then the defense might have an, an opposite person who's going to come right. in and say no. And, you know, for example, in the, in this John Burge case, right in this Burge case, um, this is the guy who just talked about area two detective who was torturing people. He was the main guy who was torturing people. There was a case that they were trying where they had broken this guy's shoulder because they had basically stretched him out. He was, they were shocking his balls with fucking an electric machine. They had okay. a machine. Hold on. Yeah. I think what you're doing right now is you're telling me a story about medieval England. Yeah. <laughs> That's called the rack. Let's go back to a more oh, present time. Yeah. Let's go back to a present time when they had a black box with electricity in it and they would hook it up to your balls or your ears. Right. And so that's how they would. That was an Abu Ghraib. They Are would we talking shock about America? The fuck out of people. Sorry. Dead serious. It's crazy to me because I read this and I was like, how the fuck did that happen? He had a black box. He'd bring it in the room. Called it his N-word box, by the way. I just want to say that. Nice guy. Did he guy. say N-word? Because that would be kind of great, actually. It would be if he, if he, if he, was like if he said, I am, going to, <laughs> I am going to shock the heck out of you. <laughs> That's what he said. You're going to do to your parents. Uh, it's going to make you feel like this is H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> but anyway. Well, gosh, it would be great if this happened in Minnesota. You know, where somebody comes in all, like, all Fargo, like, Oh, hey there. We're going to go ahead and oh. uh, hook these up to those, uh, your bottom swingers I there. Got, huh? I got the, uh, <laughs> the alligator clips now. You tell me if this hurts. No, I'm kidding. It's going to hurt. Okay, don't worry about it. I made yeah. you some lemon bars for when we're done. <laughs> but they have these clips. And they're clipping. They clipped it on his balls. And they clipped it on his ears. They clipped it on his hands. And he kept using his shoulders to rub it off his ear. Because it would clip it on his ear. It fucking hurt. And it would basically shock the fuck out of him. And they're uh -huh. shocking the fuck out of him. 
and it hurts, and he can't control it, can't stop it. They keep shocking him, and he keeps knocking it off with his shoulders. So they stretch him out. They stretch him out so far with two handcuffs that they break his shoulder. They break his shoulder, and while they're stretching him out, they are pressing his chest up against a steam radiator. So he gets steam radiator burns on his chest. They basically burn him on his chest. He goes to the doctor afterwards because he's got a broken shoulder and burns on his chest and, and scorch marks everywhere. And then they go to trial afterwards. And this guy is saying, I did not, conf- I fucking, they beat the fuck out of me before yeah. I confessed to this. And the jury, of course, is hearing, I confess to this. That's what they're hearing. They're not right. hearing, I beat the fuck <clears throat> out of you, whatever. So the, the prosecution brings in their own witness and their own witness, uh, expert, not witness, mm-hmm. their own expert on these injuries is a guy from Loyola who says there's no way that these injuries were burns. These are scrapes. He must have did this. He self-inflicted this. The The thing is from when he fell down or whatever, the, mm-hmm. the, the broken, the broken shoulder. shoulder. Well, the, the prosecution brings in a torture expert that went that was in like Serbia and Croatia and places like that that has like traveled the world and dug up bodies, you know, when there's like genocides and whatnot and looked at these and at these autopsies right. and stuff. And so he says, no, no, those are clearly burns. And they clearly broke his shoulder. And he demonstrates to the jury that in a really Mm -hmm. interesting portion of this case, the prosecution tries to shame him in some way and be like, well, how could this possibly happen? This dude gets on his knees in front of the judge, in front of the bench. This guy jumps down and starts showing the courtroom how how it could happen. happen. So they tried to make him feel like, how could it happen? He's like, oh, I'll show Show you. you Let me show you how it could happen. But you got to be a guy in that jury who mm-hmm. understands and now has to decide between these two things and they don't have any expertise in the area and they have to trust that expertise. And like the deck is stacked because then the, the question we think we're asking is who's more believable, the cop or the scumbag? Yes. But that's not the question we're asking. Right. They, they, we, but, we, but we think that we're asking that. Like I was thinking about the professional jury. We talked about this a couple yeah. of weeks ago and I love that idea. But, you know, I would concede if you had just one court appointed expert that the jury could then go to. I was thinking about a couple of things. Like, I love the idea of professional jurors. I just like, how many are you going to have? Yeah, There's so and, many, and how many court, court cases? Yeah. But, but what about if you did a couple of things? Like, what about if the jury had, if the jury was seated with an expert based on this evidence that was going to be presented, right? There's going to be one expert the jur- that's outside the 12 that the jury can go to and ask questions. That yeah. is a neutral expert right. that just says, here's how forensic science works, right? Just, yeah. I don't know, I don't, you know, and they can go at and the other thing we do that I think is fucked up is we make the jury all get in a room and kind of fight it out until they all verbally agree. Yeah. Because what that means inevitably is that the side that wins that day is the side with the biggest, strongest personalities and the people who have reservations but have weaker uh, constitutions will frequently seed. And we know this is true because they just say it. They will frequently cede their opinion to the bigger personality in the room. What should happen instead is they get in a room, everybody talks, and everybody says, okay, I've made up my mind. And then they don't share what their mind is. There should be an admonition that they are not allowed to. And then they all write down yes or no, and they hand it. And if it's if it's all the same, cool. And if it's not all the same, then it's not all the same. Yeah. And that's it. This thing where we go into a room and we all have to like verbally fight it out means that rhetorical rules win the day. Yep. It means that big personalities win yeah, the day. Right. It means that people are going to get tired and want to go home. Yeah. Like two or three days in a hotel, basically taken away from your family like that. I, I saw something like the OJ Simpson thing was like eight or nine months sequestered. Can you yeah. imagine being pulled away from your life for eight or nine yeah. months? You're essentially in jail. My, like, my family would be in 
duress. Yeah. Like there would be huge, massive problems in my life if I were sequestered from my family for eight or nine months. Like, yeah. And not earning money and not, you know, right. all those things. Right. Yeah. It, it would be a massive problem. Yeah. Like not a minor. Sure. Rokey dokey. Yeah. You know, like we do it wrong. Yeah. We do it in a way that like seeks quick answers. And like, by the time these guys get there, they've been in jail for a year. Yeah. yeah. By the time they even show up for trial yeah. to decide whether or not they're guilty, they've been in jail for a fucking year or longer. Yeah. I want to talk, I want to shift gears a little bit. Another thing about uh, that, that you could do to improve when talking about false confessions, Tom, I think is we could talk, we could talk about the system in which we record these things. Yeah. You know, we have essentially unlimited space now. We have the technology has gotten to a point now where it doesn't cost anything to have, you know, five terabytes worth of stuff that you right. could just record on. There's, it doesn't cost anything anymore. And I, I, ha I know someone who is a Chicago police officer retired now. And they were a murder police here in Chicago. So they were a detective in the murder, di the murder, whatever it is, the murder mm -hmm. division. Yeah. And so they just, all they did was try to go out and solve murders. Every day there'd be a murder case and they try to solve the murder, try to solve the murder. And he said to me, he's like, you know, when I bring somebody in and I want to question them, I bring them in on a rape charge so that I can have the cameras off while I question them. And then when I have the confession, then I turn the cameras back on I say, oh, they confessed to a murder. Now I got to turn the cameras on because oh that's God. the only yeah. time at that point. And I don't know if that's still true right. for the Chicago police. But, you know, think about how different it is if you could see the 14 hours leading up to the Central Park Five right. and them confessing. Because what we get to see is their confession on tape back then. Now, back then you needed like a fucking entire room full of equipment to record someone <laughs> video, right? Right. So, you know, I understand. I mean, you flip know, my laser yeah, desk. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Means they didn't have it as much right, right back then. Right. But now it's it's cheap and it's tiny and you don't have to worry yeah. about it. And you could put a fucking GoPro in the corner of a, of a fucking uh, a yeah. place for a couple hundred dollars. You know, it's not it's not that expensive to record the entire time the door opens, yeah. right? And we also let people get away. This is, you know, we're going to get into bad investigations here in a minute, but we also let cops get away with, oh, my my camera malfunctioned. My camera malfunctioned while I was, you know, investigating this crime and arresting this person or whatever. And, you know, I feel like if the camera goes out from a a, a, a standpoint of, oh, it malfunctioned, that's on you. Well, yeah, you got to monitor that shit. That's not out, a, you stop. Yeah, that's yeah. not on anybody else. Right. That's on you, yeah. man. Yeah. That's on you. There's a saying in baseball: the tie goes to the runner, mm -hmm. right? And we always do this in yeah. in the in the legal system where the tie always goes to the cops, right? We always the cops always get the benefit of the doubt. Always, 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 always. So they arrest somebody, and their camera went off. So you didn't get a chance to see. And they come in with a black eye, and they're like, "Oh yeah, well they fell when the camera was off." Got it. We've got to be, I think, a lot more diligent about things like that. And we we aren't. We don't we don't push back when that happens. We're purposefully not diligent, yeah, right? right? We're purposefully not diligent because structurally we know we can fix a lot of these problems. And the and and we're not even talking about massive massive costs, right? You know, some of the solutions that we were talking about today, like, all right, well, if you're a juvenile, you just get an attorney before we're allowed to question you. Not your fucking parent. That's bullshit. Yeah. You get an attorney. You know, that's that would cost nothing. Right. Yeah. But it wouldn't result in as many wins for the prosecution. Sure. And like you were saying, like th this tie goes to the runner. It's the ideals. The ideals of our justice system are all based on that concept for the defendant. Right. right. You're innocent until proven guilty, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't act in ways that that sure. that relate to that meaningfully. We act 
In fact, very much the opposite. We want the prosecutor to get wins. The more wins a prosecutor has, the better his career goes. That's just a true thing. Yeah. I I have a relative who um, was, and he, and he was guilty, um, but he was guilty of a relatively minor drug offense. And he ended up with a felony in part, well, in large part, because he confessed to it immediately because he's an idiot. He confessed immediately. And then even though he was a first-time offender and all these other mitigating factors, the prosecutor is up for re-election. And that win shows that he's tough on crime. Right. We, we have a system where we look at prosecutors. We look at the district attorney, the assistant. We look at these people and we say, look, if you're not locking people up, you're not doing your job. Yeah. Locking people up is not the same thing as finding the truth. Right. And every time we get this wrong, every single time we get this wrong, that means that somebody who committed the crime did not receive justice. It means that the victim of that crime no, did not get justice. It yep. means like yep. somebody else. It's a domino effect. Yeah. And somebody else is out there getting raped. Like, you know, like if somebody gets raped, for example, and then we put the wrong person away, at least three people have been victimized, yeah. right? The person who was, uh, well, potentially three. Like you've got the person who went to jail for the wrong thing. They've become a kidnapped fucking victim of the state, right? Yeah. The state kidnapped them. They, that's a fucking huge, massive problem. And then Whatever happens to them in prison, every single thing that happens to them in prison is now on us. If they're ins assaulted, that's a state sure, assault. Sure. Like all of that's on us now. Sure. And then the victim doesn't get any relief. The victim is, is just fucked over on that. And then the assailant is still out, probably committing additional assaults. So all of those are additional compounding factors. So when we don't get this right, like it's massively important on like so many sides of that triangle. It's massively important. But a system that rewards prosecutors just for their wins rather than for quality investigative, uh, you know, work is is hugely problematic. It just contributes to that problem. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk about, you know, we talk, we sort of shifted gears a little into bad investigations because that's, you know, that's what leads yeah. to these false confessions is they didn't do a good enough job collecting things and figuring things out. So they made it, they, they, they. They made a lot of assumptions and then they got the, the guy in there and then they figured out, let's just make sure that this guy confesses so it's an easier court case right. for us. Um, I was there, There's an article that talks about, it's from the New York Times, and it talks about mugshots. Oh, yeah. How Crazy. They basically take, now Now they're, it's almost like you're picking out carpet. Like you walk in and they just lay mugshots out in front of you. And then you fold through the book and a bench, event, I mean, really what they're saying is it's got to be someone in here. Uh-huh. Find the right one. And the statistics on this are crazy. It said one study of robbery investigations in Houston found that eyewitnesses who claimed to recognize their assailant in a police lineup had actually selected a person known to be innocent about 47% of the time. An aggregate of similar studies found the error rate closer to 37% because that's how they do. That's what they do. They just like, that's a lazy way to do police work. It might lead to something, but what we do is we put this idea that it's got to be somebody in here, and it leads back to one of the things you said earlier. They got to be guilty of something, right? Mm -hmm. They're in the wrong place at the wrong time. They got a mugshot. Somehow in the past, they they had a mugshot, and so, well, then they're, they, they're probably just a bad person because they already have a mugshot in there, right? you know? They already did something bad. Uh, I want to tell a story about my youth. Um, I grew up pretty poor. <laughs> And I grew up in an area of, uh, of a town that was sort of like the low rent area in this, in the place where I lived, right? It was a place where everybody, you know, cockroaches, terrible, you know, housing, but it was cheap. 
Right. And that's where all the poor kids lived on this one street. And it was, you know, about a five block area where there was just cheap ass apartments all up and down this area. And that's where I grew up. And uh, while I was there, I did have run-ins with the law and I did break laws. I know I broke laws when I was a kid. Um, and I was questioned many times throughout my life. I was picked up by the police many, many times throughout my life. Um, I'd just be out hanging out and they'd pick me up and question me. And they do it all the time because I was, you know, I wasn't just, I wasn't just a bad kid because I was kind of a bad kid and I'll admit it, I was a bad sure. kid. But I also wasn't like, I clearly didn't do all the things that they picked me up for. But at a certain point, they just assume that you're a bad kid. Usual right? suspect. Yeah, you're a usual suspect. <clears throat> And I remember this very vividly. One night I was leaving my house with my friends and we were heading over to one of our other houses, one of their houses to spend the night. And it was a Friday night and it was coming up on curfew. So curfew in our city was 11 o'clock. Okay. And I was around, I would say I was between the ages of 11 and 13 at this point. Uh, maybe, maybe I was a little older. Maybe I was between 11, 11 and 14, something like that. I'm on my way to my friend's house. It's 1045. I tell my parents I'm going yeah. You know, I'm going over to spend the night at their house. Okay, go walk over there. And you know, we're just, we're trying to get over there before curfew. So we right. just start walking quickly down the street. Also on the same street that all these apartments are on, there's a bunch of bars, right? So there's a bunch of like, you know, just a bunch of bars on the street. Right. As we're crossing the street, we're across the street and it's just three of us. We're walking. We hear out of the bar. Hey, you fucking douchebags. And these are adults. These right. are like in their forties adults. Right. And so we look and we're, we don't think they're talking to us. Like, what were they talking about? They start running at us. They start running like as fast as they can across the street. And this is two drunk guys, adults running at us. Jesus. So we don't know what to do. And they're like, get the fuck over here, you motherfuckers. So we just bolt. And you're like middle school, early yeah, high school? Early high school, yeah. middle school. You're young. We bolt. We run as fast as we can. We're all three of us. All, we're just going. Well, as we start running, we're like on the same street, just coincidentally, is the police station. And so we start running as fast as we can. Me and my buddy stand decide we're going to go inside the police station because fuck, you know, like these yeah, guys are right. chasing us. There's a cop in there, whatever. Our other buddy runs off. Our other buddy runs past the police station. He figures he can outrun him. They were old, smoking, drinking. He's right yeah, on this, right, by right. the way. He's right. Yeah. I should have followed him. We run into the cop, the police station. They run in after us. They grab my buddy Stan and start shaking him. They're, they're shaking him. They're waving their finger in his face. I mean, they're physically... Assaulting, assaulting this kid. Yeah. And we're screaming. There's guys chasing us right before they come in. We're banging on the plexiglass window. There's guys chasing us. There's guys chasing us. Help us, help us, help us. Right. Jesus. They come, these guys burst in, grab Stan. They're, they're yelling at him. They grab me. They're yelling at me. And, and we're like, what the fuck? They're like, you fucking robbed our house. You little fucks. You ever fuck with us again? And they're they're yelling. I mean, they're right into Stan's face. He's crying. I'm crying. We don't know what the fuck to do. A cop walks in the room, right? Cause they're plexiglass separating right, right. us. Cop walks in the room. The cop does nothing. The cop does absolutely nothing. He watches these guys yell at us. One of the guys threatens to kill my friend. He says, if you ever fuck with me, and I remember these words as if they were spoken yesterday. If you ever fuck with me or my crew again, I'm going to fucking kill you, is what he says. It's the exact words. I remember it. In the police station I remember it as kid? I remember it as if it were yesterday, Tom. Jesus Christ. And we are bawling. We literally are just like traumatized because right. we're, we're being threatened by an adult. And this cop is watching it happen. And he's watching it happen because he thinks just like when they pick us up for all the crimes that don't, that we didn't yeah. do. You're fucking with them. That we just, we probably deserve what these people are saying. Right. We never saw these guys before. We don't know who these guys are, but they just presumed that we were guilty. They presumed already that we were guilty. 
And the cops didn't care. The cops didn't give a fuck. How often is that the case right. when they find these kids on the street or when they find somebody on the street that they already just assume that this person is a bad person? Yeah. Well, it's 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 part of that pattern that that emerges when you read these article after article and watch these documentaries that there is, hey, I got a guy. So now let's make the evidence fit my guy. Yeah. We're going to make our evidence because we yeah. know you're a bad dude. Yeah. And look, if you there's a there's a thought like, look, if you didn't do this, you probably did something. Right. So let's go ahead. There there was there was an article, I don't remember which one, you have to forgive me, but there's an article where a juror is is quoted as saying something along the lines of, look, I was willing to throw him in jail for a little while, but I didn't want to give him the death sentence in case he was innocent. Right. And I thought like it's actually worse, by the way. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's actually be, worse. Yeah, being yeah. being thrown in jail with life without the possibility of parole means you don't get the same legal protections as the death penalty. In many ways, yeah. the death penalty, if you're innocent, yeah. is tighter. Tighter on the triage list. Right. You know what I mean? Like they're going to try to make sure that they right. they adjudicate and go after those people, and more lawyers are going to go uh, uh, volunteer their time pro bono for things right. like that. Yeah. But like it it like think about what that says. Like I was willing to throw this person in jail, but I'm not willing to kill this person. I, I sort of, I got to thinking about that. It's like, what degree of certainty should you have before you take away somebody's life by putting them in prison? You know, it's not just the years they lose. It's yeah. not even close to just the years somebody loses. If you put the wrong person in prison, our prison system is not rehabilitative. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's completely, it's yeah, it's completely vengeance based. Right? Yeah. So that's going to change who you are. Think about like, traumatic experiences. I mean, think about traumatic relationships you may have had in your life and how they form future relationships. If you take somebody, especially in a formative year of their life, but really anytime, and you throw them in jail for months, weeks, months, years, at what point do they emerge? It's not like they emerge into the same person they went in as. They emerge different. You're going to, we are, we are the result in many ways of the experiences that we have. You're going to emerge a different person. It's not just I lost seven years but I'm the same person. You didn't like hit the fucking stop on your stopwatch age seven years and wake up. You had seven years worth of experiences that form who you are and how your psychology works and how your emotional response system to things works. And then you get out and the world has moved on and you feel different and you don't have relationships that you used to have. And the ones that you do have and are used to for the last seven years are non-functional in the rest of society. It's it's fucking hell on earth to do that to somebody. We watched that Intelligence Squared thing and there was a guy who I remember saying something like, you know, we throw these guys in jail and life without parole isn't so bad. That's it's what he said. Yeah, they punishment. get they get the TVs and shit. Yeah, he's like, yeah. it's not even punishment. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like everything we know about how people feel, how their psychology is affected, the violence, the brutality, the lack of opportunity, it's incredible punishment to strip somebody of their freedom. Yeah. To lock somebody away. When he said that, I almost hit the fucking floor. Yeah. It's interesting because... Uh, you know, this idea that it's it's a cushy thing is so uh it's so blown away by the actual facts of what right. prisoners have to deal with, right? Um these people that go in that are uh that are convicted of crimes that they didn't commit, that that is irreparable. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's irreparable. And there's no money that yeah, makes that better. Right. And it's funny because a while back I used to think like the reason why we don't do the death penalty is because you just can't. You cannot change your decision. You can't change your mind, right? Mm -hmm. You can't change your mind. And it's one of those things that, you know, you just can't get back, right? You can't get back. And then I started thinking about it, like, you know what? We also do that to people who spend a lot of time in prison. 20 years, right. you can't get that back. You're never 18 again. Right. You're never without that entire experience, that 20 years in jail 
that PTSD that that causes. You're never without that. That's yours forever. Yeah. We gave that to you. The state gave that to you because we're lazy and we're overworked and we just don't want to have to deal with it. So this is going to be continued next week. We did not get to everything we wanted to talk about. Tom and I had a lot to talk about. We covered a lot of ground this time. We're going to cover, it's going to be another serious show next time, but we think it's interesting enough to split into two shows. So tune in next time, but we're going to leave you like we always do with the skeptic's creed. Credulity is not a virtue. It's fortune cookie cutter, mommy issue, hypno Babylon bullshit. Couched in scientician, double bubble, toil and trouble, pseudo quasi alternative, acupunctuating, pressurized, stereogram, pyramidal, free energy, healing, water, downward spiral, brain dead pan, sales pitch, late night info docutainment. Leo Pisces, cancer cures, detox, reflex, foot massage, death in towers, tarot cars, psychic healing, crystal balls, Bigfoot, Yeti, aliens, churches, mosques, and synagogues, temples, dragons, giant worms, Atlantis, dolphins, truthers, birthers, witches, wizards, vaccine nuts, shaman healers, evangelists, conspiracy, doublespeak, stigmata, nonsense. Expose your signs. Thrust your hands, bloody, evidential, conclusive. Doubt even this. The opinions and information provided on this podcast are intended for entertainment purposes only. All opinions are solely that of Glory Hole Studios, LLC. Cognitive dissonance makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, currentness, suitability, or validity of any information, and will not be liable for any errors, damages, or butthurt arising from consumption. All information is provided on an as-is basis. No refunds. Produced in association with the local Dairy Council and viewers like you.